This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. Swing and a drive. Right field and deep. Back goes Aquino. It's got a chance. Gone. Get out the tape measure. Long gone. Fly the W. Cubs fans, it's time to fly the W with Dustin Rhodes and Paul Crawley-Jean. You're listening to the Fly the W670 podcast. It's season one. It's episode 47. And this one, Crawley, we are calling it Ian is Golden. I'm Dustin Rhodes, executive producer of the Mully and Haw Show. 530 to 10 on 670 The Score. Of course, your radio home for all Cubs baseball games with the great Pat Hughes and Ron Coomer and Zach Saban. And of course, as always, I'm joined by my buddy Crowley. Crowley, how are you? I'm doing a little better than the Philly Fanatic today. Um, you can follow me <laughs> at Crawley's Cubs. You can follow us at Fly the W670 on Twitter and Instagram. Fly the W on Facebook. And you can email us at flythew at 670.com. And don't forget to rate and subscribe. Rate and subscribe. Absolutely. Also, before we uh, get into that Philly Fanatic comment, Crawley, we're calling this one Ian is Golden because for the first time in a long time, a Cubs outfielder has gotten a gold glove. And if I'm right, this is the first time a left fielder has ever won a glove, golden glove for a Cub. That is correct, sir. Um, Ian Happ, what, what a 2022 season Ian Happ had, you know. The knock on him was he was never able to put together one full season, you know. And he was never known for, for his defense. And, and that's not really entirely his fault. He, you know, was moved around a lot as, as a, a young player, you know, trying to fit in with that core that won the World Series. And so that he was selected to his first All-Star game this year. He was, you know, selected by his players, you know, which, you know, the players, which was a real honor. And, yeah, first Golden Glove for his defensive work and left. First Cub to ever win a left uh, a Gold Glove for their work and left. He joins Bob Eater Near in 1984, center fielder. 
And then Andre Dawson, 87 and 88, and Jason Hayward, 2016 and 2017, as outfielders to pick up gold gloves. Those guys did it in right. So absolutely awesome for Ian and just a tremendous amount of work that he put in. Yeah, very happy for him. He's a friend of the station. He's on with uh, Dan Bernstein and Layla and Lawrence once a week. He was on after winning the award. Uh, very humble guy. Uh, thanked all the right people. You remember when uh, he got sent down to the minors, and uh, it's, he's come a long way in the last handful of years. Yeah, according to Sahad of Sharma from The Athletic, uh, Hap studied his previ- previous defensive numbers, and he consulted with former teammate John Jay, who was an outfielder that you know had a very good MLB career, especially defensively, and was a teammate with uh, Ian on the Cubs. And uh, they formulated a plan with uh, Coach Willie Harris to get better reads and run sharper routes. And you absolutely saw that this year. Uh, Hap led all National League left fielders with 13 defensive runs saved. Uh, He had 14 defensive runs saved overall, 13 in left, and he played a couple games in center, so one in center. And that ranked seventh among all MLB outfielders. So if you ranked defensively all the MLB outfielders, he came in seventh, which is great. 13 defensive run saves in left, led the National League, and was second only to Cleveland, Stephen Kwan, 21, among all left fielders. So he was the second best left fielder defensively. Not only that, he had eight assists from left field, which ranks third to Tommy Pham and Jerickson Profar. So just defensively, you know, you, you see just what a difference that, I mean, it wasn't this, it wasn't even like I was looking at the same player anymore. I can't even imagine the amount of hours he put in to get, to improve that much in left field. Yeah, he was awfully, awfully good. Played a bunch of his highlights, defensive highlights, and and you thought, oh wow, oh yeah, I remember that. Oh wow, I mean, there were there were a lot of really great calls by Pat and Ron on six seventy the score, highlighting what a great year Ian had out and left. And I didn't realize, Carl, he played in one hundred and fifty eight games last year. Yeah, unbelievable. And and that was the issue of, of of you know being consistent, being the durability. Uh, he slashed 271, 342, and had a 440 slug, 155 hits, 42 doubles, 17 home runs. He led the team in both runs and RBIs, b- both at 72 on that one. So uh, Ian picked a really great year to have you know, his best year as a pro. Uh, Absolutely. He- <laughs> now, I don't know if I was out of line by saying this, Crowley, but I think, I think the Cubs have to at least – keep the phone lines open on him, right? I mean, he's never going to have a higher value than he does right now. Yeah, and and you look at it two ways. You know, number one, he's going to have – he's worth a lot on the trade market. And number two now, all of a sudden he uh, – you know, he may be a, a centerpiece that you want to build around here. Um, he's in Well, I'm going to ask you, Crowley, right away. I, but cut you off. I, do, do you feel – that this is sustainable. Do you think he's just coming into his own or was last year as good as it's going to get and be very difficult to duplicate? It's a hard question to answer. I mean, you know, and I'm just, you know, as you think about it, it's, it's always been the question of the, the defense was never there. So, I mean, if he put in that work and he earned that, I mean, that's, that's says something right there, but you know, offensively, can he keep it going? You know, that would that would be, it'd be great, and I think it would help if he had some other guys around him as well. If you want him to keep sustaining this, it it would be help. It would help if he's protected. So, 
Um, I, I hope so. I mean, this is his final year of arbitration, right? He beat the Cubs in arbitration in 2021, which was a rarity. I mean, I don't remember if the Cubs ever lost an arbitration case prior to that. And he's going to be a free agent at the end of 2023. So we went over Jed's um, – we, we played clips of the season-ending press conference that he had, mm -hmm. and he talked about extensions for Happ and Nico Horner, and they said hopefully they would get across the finish line. Now, keep in mind – Ian is 28. He's only six days older than Seiya Suzuki, who signed a five-year, $85 million contract last March. So, you know, I mean, $85 million is not, you know, earth-shattering, I would say. But uh, if Ian would, you know, be offered that, it'd, you know, be a pretty good offer, I would say. And I don't think it's, it's, it's one that absolutely prohibits you from making more moves. No, no. I mean, and I think he'd be clicking his heels. Uh, if he was offered an $85 million guaranteed deal from the Cubs. I think he likes it here. Uh, I think he likes Chicago. I think he loves playing at Wrigley Field. I think he'd be thrilled to get a five- or six-year $85 million deal. Right, and so so the question the question here now then is, is center field, and I don't know if anyone in the minors is going to be ready to start that in April. But, you know, if you got Ian and he can have that kind of season, and if say I has a better season, which I'm expecting – you know, hopefully you can you can solidify the, those outfield spots and, and and that'll look good. But, you know, let that, me that's ask you, Crowley, would you consider since he did have some center field background, would you consider buying an outfielder or as we've talked about many times, the Cubs have a ton of outfield depth in the minor league system. Would you be comfortable with one of those guys playing left and having Ian go to center? No, the guys that we have that are, that are <laughs> no. the guys that we have are coming up at center field. I mean, he can do it. He, Ian can play center. It's just, you know, we're going to talk about the World Series, man. But it's it's defense. You know what I mean? It's defense. That, that's, re, you know, people always think about the 2016 Cubs and they think about the big hits, but they forget about what a great pitching and and one of the best defensive teams the Cubs ever had. Right. And, and, and I just think that center field is such a key position that you can't, I don't like the idea of just, you know, Ian wasn't a natural outfielder just in general, you know, he played infield in the minor leagues as well. And I just, I, I need a guy that in my opinion knows exactly what he's doing and what makes, you know, they talked about Ian and working on his route running. That's just a huge part of it. If you, if you can read the ball off the bat and be there right when the ball, you know, it's just, when you see a guy take a bad route, it's just like the worst thing to look at. And, and, and you take a look at a guy that's as great an outfielder as Jason Hayward is, was in his career. And you saw how difficult it was to just be like, okay, play center. You know, I just feel like that's not a position that you can just, like drop somebody in and hope that it works out. I, you know, I, I need a guy when I, we we've talked to a lot of the minor league guys on this podcast. We've had a lot of great guests um, and, and I, we've had a lot of pitchers on as well. And, and, you know, the one thing I always talk to them about is just the amazing outfielders. And, and that's the thing is that those guys just love because they throw a ball and all of a sudden they look back thinking it might be extra bases and there's PCA or Brennan Davis or whoever with the ball in their glove. It just makes a huge difference. It just helps everything, especially your pitcher. So I, I would say that, no, I'm, I'm not, I don't think the guys, I don't think PCA is ready. I don't think Brennan Davis is ready. Uh, those are the two guys that are probably closest to the surface. Uh, Alexander Canario, we talked about his injury issues. I don't think anybody's ready to come up and play right now. Owen, Owen Casey, we talked about last time, he's very, very young. Um, 
you know, so he's still got some development to do. Uh, there's some other guys that are interesting, but I, I just don't think I really want to go into the season rolling on that. Right, 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 right. All right, let's uh, let's also, Crowley, talk about Nico Horner, who did not even get nominated for a gold glove for his work at shortstop. Yeah, we were so excited for Ian that we kind of forgot to mention, you know, Nico, he impressed everybody just, I think, just as much as Ian Happ. You know what I mean? And that obviously shortstop is a premium defensive position and, and the fact that he wasn't even nominated, but neither was Francisco Lindor. You know what I mean? It's, it's, you're, you're shaking your head sometimes with these gold glove awards and, and Ian, you know, he was going up against uh, Christian Yelich, which I talked about is how the hell do the words golden glove and Ian and, and Christian Yelich fit in the same sentence? Uh, I don't even know it. So it, I, I, Sometimes with Rowling, I get kind of like I try to figure out like, are these guys looking at like advanced metrics or what? What are they? What are they looking at? I don't even know. So I mean, I think Nico just absolutely was one of the best shortstops. I don't. I wouldn't say he needed to win it. I was just surprised. I would have been shocked if he wanted, but I was also very surprised that he wasn't even in the running as the top one of the top three. I mean, I don't. I don't know. I, it's it's hard to say, but. Uh, I think, Dustin, you've brought up the point a lot of times that sometimes it looks like Nico is such a max effort guy, you know? Right. I, I think if Nico ends up over at second base next year, this time next year we might be having that conversation of him as a gold glove caliber second baseman. But I personally would not have had him in the uh, top three, not even maybe top six shortstops in the National League. But that's just me. I mean, That doesn't mean I don't like him. That doesn't mean I don't want him to be a Cub. I just don't think he's um, – a, a gold glove caliber shortstop. I mean, based on what? What are you going off of there? Just the the idea that it looks like he takes every ounce of effort to do it, and I think um, other guys just make it look easier than he does. He makes every play look awfully, awfully tough. Right, but I mean, the numbers are the numbers, right? And right. So the numbers we, are we, the numbers, right? The numbers are the numbers, right? I, you know, I sometimes. I'm more of an eye test guy than a, than a numbers guy. I, the numbers, of course, have a place. There's no doubt about that. But when I am in doubt, I'm going to use the eye test. And he just doesn't. He just doesn't scream Gold Glove shortstop to me. Okay, so I'm going to go right now. I'm looking at Fangraphs, okay? okay. And uh, Fangraphs. I'm looking at shortstops and and defensive runs saved. So that's the amount of runs saved at the position. Number one is uh, Miguel Rojas in defensive run saved uh, at 15. Um, second is Jeremy Pena from Houston. You see him in the World Series right now, 12. Number three, Jorge Mateo from Baltimore at 14. And then uh, Nico Horner is your fourth in MLB in defensive run saved with 11. Right. So, I mean, if you want to, if that's, if that's the key, then of course he should be in it because you're obviously talking about MLB and they award gold gloves in both the American League and National League at all the positions. So, who, where, where are the next group, Crawley? Where, where are the next group of the, those guys? Are they AL guys or NL guys? Uh, they're, they're mixed. Uh, shocking. Danby Swanson, who we've talked about as a potential shortstop, is at eight. Uh, Xander Bogarts was at 11. Carlos Correa was at 12. Trey Turner was at negative one defensive run saved. Yeah. So just and to would kind you of rather, and, and would, you know, would you rather have Trey Turner or would you rather have Nico <laughs> Horner? 
I just know what I watch. You know what I, I mean? Again, you can, these numbers are these numbers, right? Right. The, the right, numbers right. are, and, and, and the numbers don't lie. They're not making it up. Nobody's doctoring the books or anything like that. I just, you know, you kind of make my case for me. Would you rather have Turner or would you rather have Nico? Well, you know, but when I think of Turner, I think of also everything that he brings offensively or, or whether Carlos Correa and those guys, I'm looking at the complete package, right? I'm not looking right. at one, just the defensive part yeah, of the it. One which is what part the, of it, right. Which is right, what the which, gold glove is supposed to be all about. Yeah, and that, that's where I kind of look at it. And I, that's why, like I said, I, I, I wouldn't say that I would have given Nico the golden glove. I just can't believe that the year that he had, that he wasn't even nominated. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride-or-die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You're listening to Season 1, Episode 47. This one we're calling Ian is Golden. After earlier in the week, Ian Happ was the first Cubs left fielder ever to win that award. And Crowley, as we sit here on Friday, it is a travel day in the World Series. When we last talked to our listeners, the World Series was even at a game apiece, and it was headed out to Philadelphia on uh, Halloween night was supposed to be game three of the World Series. Yeah, we had a rain delay, which kind of throws things off a little bit. But, uh, hey, we're back. And so you had Ranger Suarez versus Lance McCullers. Uh, what a game. Five <laughs> Phillies would, were homer. It was absolutely electric. Lance McCullers became the first pitcher, not just in World Series history, but postseason history, to allow five home runs in a game. I mean, that is stunning, especially if you looked at how many home runs he gave up over the course of a season. It's just absolutely just – you wouldn't have predicted that. Bottom of the first, uh, you have Kyle Schwarber, who uh, drew a walk. Bryce Harper hits one out to give the Phillies a 2 nothing lead, and that place was rocking. But this is where it gets interesting, Dustin. Nobody doubts that Bryce Harper is going to hit a home run, right? We, we've come to expect that. But in the bottom of the second – Alex Bohm is, is about ready to hit when Harper calls him over to the dugout, right? Hey, come here. And, and he whispers something into his ear, like doesn't yeah. yell something, doesn't say something, covers his mouth and whispers in his ear. Next thing you know, Alec Bohm would proceed to homer to left center to make it 3 nothing, 
And then with two outs, Brandon Marsh homers to right center. The ball hits a kid's mitt, then off the wall and lands in the field of play. Dusty was hoping for fan interference, but no, the call stands. It was a home run. But just like that, in two innings, it is a four nothing lead and everybody in who was doing the interview was it was it buster only or was it uh kenny rosenthal rosenthal Rosenthal, yeah yeah, asked what he said and they wouldn't talk about it and so everybody's everybody's starting to think this guy's tipping this guy's tipping and And there were mixed things after the game whether he was tipping or not different uh different post game shows show different things the twitter sphere showed different things um listen even if he's tipping you still got to hit it right well, there was a funny, I can't remember who did it, but they were talking about Randy Johnson would tip his pitches, right? And he, and this guy, I can't, I can't remember the player's name, but he was like, he told Randy, hey, you got it. here's a glove next to you. Show me your, show me fastball and then show me slider, right? And, and, and you could see how the glove was wider on the slider. And so it's like Randy Johnson used to tip his pitches. Randy's like, Jesus Christ, I was tipping my pitches. And he said, well, Randy, you're still throwing over 97. <laughs> I'm like, I still right. have to hit it. Still so, got to hit it, right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely but, but right. He here's where here it is, right? McCullough, McCullough stays in the game. He he pitches a couple scoreless innings, but in the bottom of the fifth with one doubt, Brandon Marsh singles. And then Kyle Schwarber homers to make it six-nothing. Dusty, in all his infinite wisdom, leaves him in, and the very next batter, Reese Hoskins, homers to make it seven to nothing. On our last podcast, I talked about my dislike of Dusty Baker and how I felt he screwed up a game six and game seven of the 2003 NLCS. And if you remember my critique of game seven, it was that he just left Kerry Wood in on a, in a do or die game. When, when you have, you know, when you have to throw everything in the kitchen sink, everything you can do to win it. It's not about egos. It's not about who did what during the season, whoever your best damn pitcher is to close that thing out. You need to put them out there. And so when I looked at that, that the first couple innings and, and, and McCullers is getting hit like a piñata, it's 4 nothing. The one thing that Houston has, they have so much depth in that pitching staff. Okay? But he was saving them. He was saving them. He knew that game was done. He was saving them, Crawley. You, a 4 nothing game? Well, I mean, listen. In the second inning? Well, I – you, I mean, you would, you would have. They could listen. The bottom, the other part that we haven't really talked about, other than the fact that we mentioned his name, is the game three starter. I mean, Suarez was doing a hell of a job. Okay, that, that's how you. They, they, he was. He neutralized. I think yes. I think at that point, Dusty Baker's threw up his hands and said, "You know what? We're gonna McCullers eat it, and I'm gonna sit on my bullpen and we're gonna wait another day because my guys can't hit Ranger Suarez." That's a really risky proposition in the World Series. I mean, game one. You had what? What did what did it was? Houston had a five nothing lead, and Justin Verlander was throwing a no hitter. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't, I don't think at this point you throw your hands up. I mean, Houston has a really good offense too. I, I don't know I, if if it's me. There, I think I feel that there were guys in the bullpen that could have come out and could have easily taken three, four innings and and not given up an additional three home runs. That's that's where I stand on that. It sure, the additional the additional three home runs for sure. Right, absolutely. The additional three home runs, but I think at that point, and I think that McCullers knew too. Like they're just leaving me out here. He had to wear it. He wore it. I I, I get wearing it in in a meaningless getaway game on a Sunday. Yeah. But when you're talking about Game Three of the World Series and it's split, and now you've given Philadelphia a two to one advantage again, that's why they have great pitchers. 
you, you see Houston starters, right? You, you saw what happened with Christian Javier. He was their next starter. He's one of their best starters. He's been untouchable in the postseason. You're, you're going to sit there and you're going to let this you're, – you're going to – I just can't see burning a game in the postseason. I mean, right. n- not well, that Unfortunately, or, not, not Crowley, unfortunately, you and I, I believe, are both cheering for the Astros – or the Phillies. And even though they gave up on that game, uh, they are in the driver's seat as we start talking about game number four. Well, Dustin, it gave me PTSD from 2003, but yes. Game... <laughs> I get it. I get it. I, I, I've tried to, <laughs> Crowley, I've had enough Bud Light since between now and then and now that I, I think I've uh, erased my mind of that. I've, I've been triggered, man. I, I No, I was there, man. I, I, I was there. I was there in the stadium watching my, being five outs away from the World Series and watching my hopes and dreams implode in 2003. I'll, even to this day, I thought winning the World Series would erase that. It, it hasn't, man. It's still sometimes, <laughs> it's still somewhere back there in the recesses of my mind and just, just the, every, the way that it all happened. But I digress. Game four, Aaron Nola versus Christian Javier. Starts to, it's a pitcher's duel. I mean, they're both pitching really well. Aaron Nola is pitching well. Christian Javier is just absolutely filthy. The guy is just having such a sick postseason. I know that I said Justin Verlander to win the MVP. I know you said Kyle Schwarber. You got to wonder if Christian Javier has, has put his name into the uh, mix there. I mean, that guy has just been lights out in this postseason. And uh, you get into the you get into the fifth inning, and then you get consecutive singles from Chas McCormick and Jose Altuve, uh, and then Jose uh, Pena loads the bases with a single. Uh, Rob Thompson, as he's done all postseason, he goes to his pen. He goes with one of his best pitchers, Jose Alvarado. First batter he faces, Jordan Alvarez is hit by a pitch, make it one nothing. Houston, Alex Bregman doubles to bring in two more runs. Kyle Tucker hit a sack fly, and Yuli Gurriel singles, and right away it's it's five nothing in the fifth. I mean that's that ended an Astros sixteen inning scoreless streak i can't so, believe they got the first <laughs> run by hitting a guy with the bases low it just that was amazing to me absolutely amazing that that's how they got their first run you know it's some some guys out of the bullpen you can ask them to do anything in the world and it's not a problem and other guys you throw off their routine and they're maybe just not as good and i remember uh i remember or all chapman saying how much he hated coming in like the eighth inning he just wanted to pitch a clean ninth give me the ninth inning Three batters, I'll get it for you every time. He didn't like coming in early, you know. And unfortunately for the Cubs in 2016, injuries necessitated him to be overused. But, you know, I, I don't know what happened with Alvarado. I never saw that inning going as bad as it did uh, for him. He, he was such a good pitcher all year. Uh, just shocking. Yeah, and that was crazy. Five, five runs in the fifth, and that was all they would need. Well, yeah, the Astros pitched a combined no-hitter. Now, granted, I know what people keyword, say about keyword. Keyword you just said, Crowley. Uh, yeah, keyword <laughs> combined. Combined. When you have to right. put a word on the front of it, it's not a no hitter. It's not. It's not a no hitter for the Astros. What it is is the Phillies were no hit, but the Astros, I don't think, no hit the Phillies. If that makes sense, okay. I get, I get the, what you're the, the only no hitter, the only no hitter in the World Series was done by one man. By one man, okay? Yes, Not sir. Christian Javier, six innings, and then a bullpen guy, and then a bullpen guy, and then a bullpen guy. It wasn't even two guys. It wasn't even like, okay, this guy got us to the ninth. Even if it would have been Javier got him to the ninth, 
And because he was like in 100 pitches, they said, listen, we got to take him out. I have a little bit more respect for it. When you've got four guys, David Hall and I got into this the other day. He didn't want anything to do with it. I had, it was a mixed bag of people supporting me, people killing me. But it's, again, when you have to put that word combined, that that lessens it immediately. It wasn't special. Well, I mean, it's to say it's not special, you see what that Philly lineup did. And right after giving up five home runs the day before, uh, just to turn around and do that with against this Philly lineup with those hitters was was shocking and special. Now, if you're asking me where do I rank it in all-time great pitching performances, it's not even in my top 20. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I agree with you the fact that, you know, Don Larson, 1956, perfect game. You know, that that to me, when you have one guy that absolutely shuts it down like that, it's a completely different category than a combined no-hitter. To me, to have one guy, 27 outs, go, you know, all the don't, you know, don't face an order three times through, four times never, you know, I mean, that's impressive. You that's know? special, Crowley. That right. is special. What happened the other night is just the Phillies had a stinker. They had a clunker. It was it was bad for the Phillies. Shame on the Phillies getting no hit at home in a World Series. That stinks. But I'm not going with this combined no hitter thing. Unless it listen, it left a mark. Okay, that was the bigger news. It definitely left a mark because as we move into game number five now, which happened last night, it left a mark in my opinion. Yeah, that was the 19th combined no hitter in an ALNL history, and the interesting thing is four of them have been by Houston. Uh, you remember the Cubs had one, uh, Zach Davies and Tapera and Chafin and Kimbrell combined for one. You remember. It was against the Dodgers, right? Yeah. Did I get that? Yeah, okay. See, I did remember that part of it, but it's like, okay. You know, that day it was great. It was, yeah. You know, yeah. You know, I was I was more, yeah, the Cubs beat the Dodgers than I was, yeah, we had a combined no-hitter. Woohoo! Let me print <laughs> out that box score and put in a frame maybe. No, I don't think so. Well, Kyle Schwarber was asked, and he thought the same thing as you, Dustin. He said, I don't give a shit. So uh, Kyle Schwarber, not impressed. But like you said, you wonder how much uh, carryover there was in the game. The other thing that he said, Crowley, the other thing he said, he said, I don't give a S. And then he went on to say, it's only one game. But now what the Phillies need to do is they need to prove that it's only one game. And right now they have not done that as we get into this fifth game. Yeah, you got, you know, and Justin Verlander had to prove he could win a game in the World Series. So you right. had Justin Verlander versus Noah Syndergaard. And I, I think so much about uh, the 2015 Cubs, and they just got steamrolled. They got swept by those Mets, uh, if you remember. Uh, they were, they just, the pitching was just unbelievable. And what was his name? The second, Daniel Murphy went off. But yeah, they just had huge Matt, series. Yeah, yeah, Matt Harvey and Noah Syndergaard and Jacob Degrom. I mean, the Cubs never stood a chance. But that was that was a brutal one. But uh, you know, top of the first, the thing I think when you when you think about Game Five, is that this is the one that I think Philly could have had, and they're going to look back if they don't win this World Series and say this is the one they got away. I think that they were absolutely outclassed in the end game four. And then just game five, it was just they had opportunities. Jose Altuve had the leadoff double, uh, makes the third on a bobble by Brandon Marsh. Uh, shortstop Jeremy Pena, rookie, makes it one nothing. Strohs with a single. But right away, bottom of the first, leadoff homer by our guy, Kyle Schwarber, ties the game at five. That ties him for the record for most postseason, career postseason leadoff homers. There are three guys that have three of them. It is Kyle Schwarber, Derek Jeter, and Jimmy Rollins. 
So he's also homered in every single postseason series that he's ever played in. Unbelievable. That set that set a record. On every postseason series, I thought I saw that last night on Fox. He's played in seven. He's been in seven post. He's been in seven series in the postseason, and he's homered in each and every series that he's played in. I don't even remember not a game, not right. game, but series. I'm just trying to think about the World Series in 2016. Did he hit a home run? I mean, and I, I don't think so, but I might be off. I'll double check that. But uh, you maybe know, I misunderstood the stat. But that's what yeah, I thought I saw last night. I'm not positive on that. I'm trying to think. He didn't hit one in Game Seven. He didn't hit one in Game One or Two. I don't, and he didn't play at Wrigley three, four, five. So I don't think he hit one in the World Series. But we can double check on that. No big deal. But won't uh, be the first time or the last time that I'm wrong, Crowley. <laughs> I'm trying to think. But bottom of the second, two outs. Gene Segura singles. Uh, Brandon Marsh and Schwarber walk to load the bases. Right. So you got Justin Verlander, who every single reporter and their brother was asking, "Why haven't you won a World Series game?" You get Schwarber instantly ties it up after after you know Pena gave him the the lead, but then the bottom of the second two outs you, you got a little something going. You got bases loaded, two outs, and Reese Hoskins and Verlander strikes out swinging. You get to the bottom of the third, one out. Harper walks. Castellanos was robbed of a single by shortstop Jeremy Pena. Alec Bohm singles. You got runners at first and second, but Verlander gets Brian Stott to fly out to end the threat. And, you know, I know that Pat Hughes always says the guy that makes the big defensive play always seems to have a big offensive play the very next inning. That's what happened. Jeremy Pena uh, with that play to rob, uh, you know, to, to help there, uh, to, you know, robbing Castellanos. I mean, that could have had runners at first and third and one out. Uh, he hits a solo home run in the top of the fourth, and the Strohs are now up two to one. Top of the eighth, Sir Anthony Dominguez is on the mound for the Phillies. Jose Altuve walks. Jeremy Pena singles to put runners at the corner. Former Cub David Robinson Dot Robertson replaces Dominguez. Jordan Alvarez grounds out. Uh, that easily scores though Altuve, which is going to make it a three to one game. You know, that one guy that we need to really, really talk about is Jose Altuve because he's starting to heat up, and and now the net last couple of games, you're starting to see things change there. Um, so in the bottom of the eighth, Rafael Montero on the mound for Houston. Castiano walks. Alex Bohm strikes out. Bry- Bryson Stott walks. Gene Segura singles. Castiano scores. Uh, you got runners at the corners down three to two. Ryan Presley comes into the game and Brandish Marsh. He gets Brandon Marsh to strike out swinging. He had to make contact there and he didn't. And then the legend, the great Schwarbino. Mr. October 2.0. <laughs> Runners at first and third down one run. The mighty Schwarber grounds out to end the threat. But it wasn't Bot- just a ground out, Crowley. Come on, let's give him a little credit. I mean, that was a hell of a play. Yeah, it's, it's the defense was, was it, it was there. I just I so thought it Schwarber wasn't like was he dribbled. It wasn't like he dribbled it down the first base line. No, no, no. It was okay. he got he got robbed again. And you and that's what I'm saying is that the missed opportunities in the defense of Houston, and this goes back to when we were talking about that center field position. You just see, like you know, the shortstop. You know, when you talk about Jeremy Pena, you know, Robin base hits to prevent a big inning, or when you talk about the first baseman, Robin Schwarber to, to do that, and then the bottom of the ninth, Ryan Pesley's on the mound. Reese Hoskins strikes out swinging. J.T. Real Muto hits a rope down right field, and he is robbed by Chaz McCormick. Harper's hit by a pitch. Castellano grounds out. Game is over. 
But there were so many plays where the defense came up so clutch for Houston. And, and now the series moves back to Houston with the Astros up three games to two. And we got game seven on Saturday, Zach Wheeler versus Framber Valdez. What are you thinking, Dustin? Well, of course, I'm going for the Phillies. And what I would do if I were the manager of the Padres after all the uh, – Looks like Mr. Valdez is going to the ear, going to the pocket, going to the brim of the hat. I would I would do what the uh, Mets skipper did, and I would have him frisked out on uh, the mound in about the second or third inning if he's really dealing. I'm absolutely with you. I mean, it's not about, you know, I know Buck Showalter got a lot of grief and guff for that, and I, I don't care, man. This is it. This is this is do or die here for the Phillies. So if you even for for one second, I'm I'm sure that they're going to have all eyes, all video, all everything on Framber Valdez. And if they think it, you have to you have to try it, you have to try it. And so um, you know, hopefully, like I said, I I picked Houston originally in five, I think, and then I switched it to six. So we'll see what happens, or if there's going to be a game seven. That would be absolutely epic. There's no better words in any sports than Game 7, right? At this point, I'm definitely cheering for a Game 7. There's no there's no doubt about that. That's exactly what I am hoping happens. Uh, a Game 6 goes to the Phillies, and we get a Game 7, and then whatever happens, happens. But we got to get to a Game 7. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. We know what Game Seven's like, right? As we are now on the sixth anniversary of the World Series Parade. Dustin, where were you on that glorious day? Uh, I worked uh, that morning, of course, at 670 to score. It was not uh, time to take a day off, and uh, the city was buzzing. People were still buzzing. Uh, a friend of mine lives in the city, so uh, my wife and daughters got on the train, went to their place, and uh, I was on the corner of Michigan Avenue and Delaware, watched all the buses go by, had a great afternoon. It was not um, as warm as it has been the last couple days, but the sun was out. I do remember that, but it was a little bit uh, crisper that day. And uh, after all the buses had uh, gotten past us, we went back uh, to his place and uh, had a few libations and some pizza and watched the, uh, watched the speeches on the television. So I woke up at one in the morning. I stayed at a buddy's place downtown and I got to Grant Park at about 2 a.m. And the, ga the gates were closed. Gates were closed, but no way was I missing 
this ra- this rally. And so I'm sitting there and, you know, I'm just waiting and talking to people and making friends and doing that, that old thing. And all of a sudden the start, sun starts rising and I start to just see the crowd, you know, just building behind me. And it was just crazy. Like guys were like climbing up like light poles. And there was a guy on the statue right outside that, you know, the big horse statue. He, he literally climbed up there and was holding this W flag. And I'm like, this guy's going to like fall and break his neck. And so finally they opened the gates, they unlocked the gates. And I, I put it on my Twitter today at Crawley's Cubs. All of a sudden they took a shot. It was WLS had their, you know, there's tons of choppers out that day. They're showing how many people are just booking. So imagine like, imagine just running just a huge sprint and then you have to stop and there's a checkpoint. Then you had to do it a second time right at the corner before you get to Grant Park. Then it was like a hundred yard dash to get down that field. And Dustin, I hadn't run that fast in 20 years. I'm huffing and puffing and I make my way to the very front barrier there. Right. And I, all of a sudden I just turn around and I'm trying to stretch my hammies out and I just all of a sudden seeing all these people just swarming into Grant Park. There's like nothing I had ever seen before. So now I got I got like a couple more hours to kill. And what they ended up doing is they put the the postseason games replays of them on two giant like jumbotrons, not like big screens, you know, uh, on the left and right of this stage. And I'm watching, and you know I I hadn't you know it's been hours you know since it's been like, you know, two in the morning, nine, about nine hours, 10 hours. I've been kind of hanging out around Grand Park. And all of a sudden, after, after one of the postseason games was done, they switched it to a news feed. I don't remember what news feed it was, but that's where they started to show the players. I'm like, shit, they're still at Wrigley. You know, they're, they're getting the buses and all this stuff. Like, oh, my God. But all of a sudden, they start, like, showing all the different areas and how many people are there in Chicago. And that's the first time I was like, oh, my God, this is – you know, because the Bulls had these things at Grant Park. I want to say the White Sox had one and the Blackhawks, they all had their stuff, you know. But this was like nothing I'd ever seen ever. And and so all of a sudden, you know, they finally get there and everybody's giving speeches. And I don't know if it was just tired or what. I was sober, I, you know, I, I was – but all of a sudden, like I know Rizzo's speech, I remember really got me torn up. And then, you know, here in Rossi, you know, we didn't know what's wrong. All of a sudden it looked like he had a red nose. I guess apparently on one of the buses he got hit by a branch. Oh, his nose was big and bulbous. <laughs> I just remember him holding, looking, pointing at the trophy, and the trophy's right there. And I'd never seen the World Series trophy in my life. You know, I was still a good distance away from it, but I could see that thing gleaming. And and I, he just pointed, look at what the boys got me. And we're just, yeah, the place yeah. just goes nuts. And Rizzo gave a speech about what Ross meant to the team, and we're just all balling. And then Mr. Ricketts comes out, and Anthony Rizzo gives him the final out ball, and I'll never forget that. And so we had heard that a musician was going to be out there. And we're all like, oh, man, it's got to be Eddie Vedder. It's got to be Eddie Vedder. He came on the plane back with the guys. It was Brett Elridge, I think is the guy's name, country guy. He's saying, go, Cubs, go. And they had confetti cannons blowing out everything. And, I, and we were all doing snow angels in the confetti cannons. And then I'm looking, and I start to see, like, people kind of go heading back towards the bus. So I'm in the front. I hop over the barrier, and I start going towards the bus. And as I'm sitting there, everybody's walking out and I'm getting pictures of, of Rizzo and, and uh, you know, uh, Ross and all these guys are walking past. I got a picture of me and Davey Martinez, you know, grab, you know, holding on to him. I got a picture of Chris Bryant, a selfie where he's right behind me and he has that WWF belt and, and he's just ear to ear grinning. But the thing that, I, you know, I said hi to Theo and he kind of gave me a little wink nod. 
uh, for all the years I gave him some crap and, and asked him the hard questions at CubsCon. But uh, <laughs> the, 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 the moment that got to me more than anything is, is, is Dexter Fowler's walking, and he's cradling that World Series trophy. And I was about three feet from it. And to me, um, it always reminded me of that scene from Indiana Jones where he grabs that gold and he's right. just holding it. It was, it was right. you know, it was just this mythical trophy I heard about all my life and never, I'd never seen it. I mean, I saw it on TV, but there I was. Here's Dexter, literally about three feet from me holding this trophy. I could have ran, grabbed it, run away. I wouldn't, wouldn't have gotten far, but I was that close that I was, I could easily jump and grabbed it. I was just so floored and flabbergasted by seeing that trophy and being that close to it. It literally took my breath away. And then for the, I don't know if people remember this, you know, finally, like my body is literally crashing between world series games and all the postseason games and, and not like literally probably sleeping an average of two hours a night. My body's crashing. I go back to my buddy's place and I just drive home. That's when I start hearing on the radio that all the, 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 the trains were hugely delayed because of the crowds trying, all the mass transportation was pretty much shot. Right. Everybody when, trying to get back out, back out to the burbs. Yep. And the numbers, when they're all done, it was estimated that 5 million Cub fans lined the streets and were in Grand Park. According to historians, the Cubs parade ranks seventh in gatherings of hum, human beings in the history of the world. The crowd was also the largest ever recorded in the Western Hemisphere. The parade is also the biggest non-religious gathering in human history. I don't think you can compare that to anything, Dustin. I mean, that, that's, it's, it's, I'm looking at the list. One of them's the, the, you know, pilgrimage in India. Another one is a festival in Iraq, a religious one. Uh, the funeral of Ayatollah Khomeini, the papal gathering in the Philippines, uh, but there it is, Chicago Cubs World Series Parade 2016, 5 million people. Unreal. Yeah, I'm just happy to have been a part of it. It was the, uh, it was my favorite time, believe it or not. It was, it really sunk in that day. I finally got to enjoy it as a fan. Working in the media, and you could say, wow, that's great, you're working around it. I got to be in Wrigley Field. I was not in Cleveland when it happened. But when they won, when they won in that extra inning game, I mean, I had been up since 2 o'clock in the morning that day, and I was going to have to be back on the air at 5 a.m. They won. Um, There were some hugs and kisses in the house. I had a beer. I went downstairs. I took a shower, and I drove into work. (laughs) I did not sleep. I was up all the whole next day. And was just ready to absolutely collapse, um, and finally was getting to enjoy it at that uh, at that parade. Having my daughter up on my shoulders, watching the buses go was, go by, it was a uh, it was a great memory. Yeah, it, 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 you know, and 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 maybe one day, Dustin, you know, sure as God made green apples his hair, it would say we're going to see another one, hopefully sooner rather than later. I still want to be able to party and enjoy it, um, but. Uh, you know, I, I don't think anything can ever compare to what we lived through. And uh, there's a Sports Illustrated. It, it was from the Javi Baez Mother's Day home run. And I forget the tagline to the article that was a front page on Sports Illustrated was the last great sports story. And I don't think there's anything that, that, that perfectly sums it up. There is nothing that will ever compare to that first World Series and to have been alive and seen it and been a part of it. 
uh, I'm just so grateful. And that's, and, and like I said, I just can't wait to get back there. Absolutely. Well, there's plenty of work to be done to get back there. Of course, this is the place to uh, listen and learn and have fun with us as the Cubs get ready for a uh, big, big 2023 offseason. Crowley, that's a wrap. Season 1, episode number 47. Ian is golden. Enjoy the World Series games on Saturday and hopefully Game 7 on Sunday. And uh, we will be back early next week with a wrap of the Fall Classic. Don't forget to subscribe to Fly the W670. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram uh, or on Facebook at Fly the W. You can email us at flythew670 at gmail.com. And don't forget to rate and subscribe and follow the podcast so that you always get it as it comes out.